Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. Welcome to our spooky Halloween edition. I think our first formal Halloween show for Perfect Organism. I am your host, one of your hosts, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by Patrick Green, Christian Motzka, Perry Chikos, and Maj. We should have done. We should have done like Simpsons Halloween names for ourselves. We should have. Or I, I should have called myself Patrick Groovy Green. I missed the chance to do. Yeah. Groovy Green. Oh man. Christian Macab Motzka. Mm. All right, let's do it over. Right. <laughs> Christian Macab Motzka. That's good. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, Patrick, I'm 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 uh, stalling because I'm trying to scroll back to where I was in the patron list. Hey, everybody, we've got new patrons this week. At uh, this month. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, very spooky, very exciting. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read some names off. And I, I, I'm not going to lie. I've kind of lost track of if I've already read all of the names from the last month and a half on a perfect organism episode. But you know what? You're worth hearing at least twice. So I'm going to go back all the way to September, everyone, and do some shout outs really quick. We have Alfredo Ramirez, Dave Kausick, Kyle Baker, Julian D'Souza, Steve Tyndall, Jeff Deloff, and Tom Baker. Thank you so much to all of you for joining. If you want to get in on the action, we actually are, are talking about some new plans for Patreon, which is very exciting, including releasing more of our content early exclusive to patrons. We do that now sometimes, uh, but we're going to try to make that kind of you know a de facto thing that we do for every show, basically. So if you want to get early access to basically everything that we put out across both channels, you can go to perfectorganism.com slash support or go to patreon.com slash perfectorganism. And, uh, and join up there, and we'd love to have you, because there's cool stuff coming. So, what are we here to talk about tonight? Yeah, tonight is- we're here to talk about the Evil Dead. No, actually, it's not the. It's There's no the. It's just Evil Dead, <laughs> which is the 2013 version uh, that was directed by Fede Alvarez. And, of course, we chose to do this particular film for Halloween, because it's a spooky Halloween movie, but also because it's really the film that Fede Alvarez made his first impression, at least with American audiences, uh, back more than a decade ago now, which is crazy. Um, it's a movie that I think was pretty well received and has a lot of interesting things going on that we can talk about tonight. A lot of cool little windows into who Fede is as a director, what he does well, what he might struggle with or might not struggle with, and what he might be looking to do with his upcoming Alien Romulus, which of course releases August 16th, so almost exactly 10 months from today, which is very exciting to think about. And of course, um, in the context of doing this, we're going to go back through the whole Evil Dead, you know, franchise to some degree because I think all of us have different, uh, you know, touch points with it. Um, it's, it spans now, you know, multiple decades, multiple types of media, whether that be t- you know TV, film, video games, etc. And uh, and it's something uh, stage work, which we'll talk about. Um, it's something that I think uh, it has one of the biggest cult followings of any franchise that I've ever you know run into. And, uh, and I'm excited to talk more about it. And I guess maybe to kind of start things off, we can go a little bit through the history just to kind of get a, a starting point for where this whole thing came from. And then we can get to Fede's film. Of course, the first film, which is The Evil Dead, uh, was released in 1981. And it was really Sam Raimi's first film, you know, his first non-student movie. It was produced for basically a bag of Skittles and a couple of bucks. 
And uh, and it went on to really establish a lot of the cool techniques that he would become hallmarks of his style in the years to come. And I guess I'll hand it over to Christian if you want to kind of take us through a little bit of the early days of the Evil Dead. Killer. Killer. Killer if you can. Lover boy. <laughs> so yeah, this was 1981 and Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and Ted Raimi and there's another guy, Rob Tappert, I think his name is, that they were high school friends. They had made short films. Um, and so this was their their first big attempt to make a, a feature. There are a number of books actually written about the history of how they went about it, how it was a very grueling shoot. By the end, most of the cast had quit on them. And so th thus was born the uh, the fake shemps, where people would uh, dub in, or I mean, not dub in, it would, it would stand in for the actors who had left the production wearing more makeup to then be these deadites. But the basic idea is... Um, a group of teens go to the woods to a cabin. They find a book they shouldn't read out of. They do. And it releases these evil spirits, the, the evil dead who possess people, kill people, come back to, to, you know, cause more harm. And it was a huge success. Stephen King gave it a very glowing review, which of course was then put on the back cover of the VHS. And it ended up spawning this series of the evil dead, evil dead Two. Army of Darkness, and then finally a television show called, oh my gosh, Ash vs. Evil, Evil Dead. Thank you. <laughs> and an interesting thing that happens is each film encapsulates the story of what came before while kind of at the same time being a remake. So a good chunk of Evil Dead 2 is sort of making up the story from the first film. And the first five minutes of Army of Darkness gives you the whole thing over again. But again, never using footage from the previous films. They keep reshooting it with different actors sometimes. Like it's always Bruce Campbell, but it's a different leading lady each time. Anyway, and, and yeah, it has this huge cult following. The films get markedly goofier as they go along. Uh, the first one is, uh, is very much an attempt to do um, a straight horror film, but with such inventive camera work it was sam raimi just was a was a natural with some of the things he was doing and when he was given more money and more opportunity uh he's really gone on to prove himself to be really quite something and it was funded by i think local dentists is that right i forgot about the dentists yes <laughs> so was it a college like a film school no project they, it, or? Was, it was a it was a truly grassroots like independent film where correct me if i'm wrong christian i think they shot some of it and then they went to people in their town that they knew had some money showed them what they had shot and said would you like to invest in this we'll we'll, we'll get you a return on your investment um and enough people forked uh over cash and they they put together a movie that ended up becoming a classic yeah they shot a, a basically a pilot version of it which i think was called within the woods and use that yeah. as like a proof of concept to get additional funding. Exactly. But it's totally homegrown. I mean, they, they didn't even have real camera equipment. So they did things really like Christian was saying, really inventive. Like instead of a steady cam, they used planks of wood and they would have two people hold the planks and then run around through the woods with it. So all those shots were zooming through trees and stuff like that's just like Sam Raimi holding a piece of wood with a camera strapped to it, literally just running through the forest. I mean, it was, you know, incredibly bare bones, but I think really, really well done. And it's also, I mean, just uh, to jump in for a second, what's so cool is that it genre hops so much as a franchise. 
So it really starts off as an early, you know, splatter movie. Like it starts off in the same vein as Cannibal Holocaust or like some of these other movies that are really just gory and, you know, very raunchy and uh, shot on, on really poor quality film stock and really just like look dirty and grimy and scary. Right. Um, and then what's so funny is that when they revisit the material for Evil Dead 2, which I think is the subtitle is Dead Till Dawn or something, right? Evil Dead 2, Dead 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 Till Dead Till Dawn. Is that what it's, the full title was? Actually, I, I think for marketing, it was called Dead Till Dawn. Anyway, uh, for Evil dawn. Dead 2, Dead, dead by, by Dawn. Thank dead you. by Dawn. That's dead what by, Dead by Dawn. Uh, for Evil Dead 2, what's so funny is that they go back and they revisit the material, but it's so funny. Like Evil Dead 2 is straight up black comedy, I, I would consider it. It's like a black mm -hmm. horror comedy. It still has some scary moments in it, but like the it's so ridiculous. The stuff with his hand and like all these, it's, it's very slapstick, which is no, you know, it's not coincidental because of course, Sam Raimi was hugely influenced by the Three Stooges, as evidenced by the whole Shemp reference and the fake Shemp idea. Like he, he was a big Three Stooges fan. And then we get Army of Darkness, which is basically a time travel dark fantasy comedy, which is like another, it's just, it's so wildly different. And then we get to Fede's film, and Fede's film revisits the tone of the original The Evil Dead in a way to me, which uh, I think is something that's going to be interesting to talk about why he chose to go very much straight splatter horror with it. Yeah. Anyway, Perry. I know. I feel like there's a, a large number of of films out there that I'm I'm still working towards seeing. Right. And and it's probably because I watch like the alien movies so much that like takes up 75 percent of, of all the movies that I watch because um, I'm rewatching a lot of things that I've enjoyed to watch in the past. But yeah, from my experience of it, I can just talk to I've always known of the evil dead. I, I don't know if it was be just because of like the people I hung out with when I grew up, like watching movies and stuff like no one was just like we were watching Halloween and, you know, the films that were coming out, uh, you know, late 90s and, and early 2000s that were that were horror esque and and, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and and the Friday the 13th and and things like that like that largely introduced me more to like horror and those sorts of things although I always knew of the evil dead and so just going back to there I, it was always a film that like I was always intrigued by but I just like I don't know why like I have no good reason as to why I I never put the time out there to to sit and watch it or for whatever reason but anyway what I'm appreciating now, um, as I get time to like really cherish <laughs> movies, it's like my one thing w that I get to do to, um, I don't know, really have some time to myself and, and, uh, get to like immerse myself in, in a story. And I'm like finding so much, I'm just like so much more grateful for those things. Cause I'm like truly realizing why I love film and cinema in the first place. Um, and so it's just great to be able to experience some of these things for the first time. And obviously um, watching the evil dead, uh, watching the, uh, the 81, the 1981, and then now Fede's remake, his film that came out in 2013. And, and just like thinking about it too, like looking ahead to alien Romulus and what, what, we might be getting stylistically and uh the actors and and yeah the camera movement and the art that is all behind that that i'm sure he's bringing a lot to alien romulus it's awesome to see just his depiction of evil dead 
And it's, it's great. So like I get to sit here on this podcast and learn from all of you who have tons of history and, and just knowledge um, and experience behind it. And so like, I'm just truly grateful for that. And I love Halloween. I love spooky season. I know we, we have like a couple frame rates that we're putting out. I know Jamie and I talked about boogeyman and, and we just recently talked about talk to me. And so like, I, it's just like right up my alley. And so I'm just like loving that I get to, um, that there's some of these films out there that I get to experience for the first time and just like makes me feel like a kid again, like watching movies like that, you know? So it's great. It's awesome. And I'm, I'm uh, glad to be here chatting on this with you guys tonight. So anyone who has seen the original um, Nightmare on Elm Street actually saw some of the evil dead because there's a little segment of the film. I think it's playing on Johnny Depp's bedroom television. They put, generic horror movie music over it but it, there was a, a running in joke because in the first evil dead when they go down to the basement there's a the hills have eyes poster ripped in half on the the wall of the fruit cellar which was a, a, a joke my my film is scarier than your film was kind of the idea and so then west craven put evil dead in nightmare on elm street and so in evil dead 2 freddy's glove is hanging in the fruit cellar basement and this goes on and on culminating Interestingly, in uh, the Necronomicon and the the Bone Dagger from Evil Dead 2 show up in Jason Goes to Hell. In Jason Goes to Hell, <laughs> we have the the Necronomicon and the, the Bone Dagger. And then Freddy Krueger's glove, of course, pulls, up, pulls Jason into hell at the very end. And this was, in theory, leading to Ash versus Jason versus Freddy. Oh, wow. And there actually was a script written, which the best scene from it for my money is the uh, the hopscotch girls from nightmare on elm street are, are become deadites and are fighting ash and i just love the idea of bruce campbell having to to punch these little 12 year old girls that are that are chanting this terrible nightmarish rhyme at him um and his severed hand ends up getting freddy's glove i mean it's just it writes itself come on that that works I, that that's works awesome <laughs> yes yeah. please make that movie today take I'll my go. money <laughs> I remember seeing trailers for the first set of Evil Dead films, and I remember th looking at the trailers as a teenager, like thinking, "This looks ridiculous. I'm not watching this. It looks so ridiculous." Um, I was, however, surprised and delighted that the original, while it is cheesy and can be, it's comedic. It's not intentionally comedic. It's just production value. And that's kind of 70s. I know it's early 80s, but that 70s over the top horror reaction to everything and the what is now like a, almost a horror trope the cuts the edits in between like which are equally ridiculous um the, the shot of his eyes while he's pretending to be asleep on the couch and he's got the ring in his hand like those shots are so fucking funny but the film really conjures some authentic atmosphere it really does absolutely moments here and there and then i know we're going to get into uh the 2013 version but there there's a lot of fealty to the 2013 or the 2013 version has a lot of fealty to the original um it the original was not as bad quote unquote i hate using that term because i don't like black or white terms but it wasn't as it wasn't as ridiculous as i thought it would be um it is ridiculous. I can't really take it serious, but it's not like stupid. I was expecting it to be stupid, and it wasn't. Oh, Ash, help me, please. Ash, help me, please. Ash. Oh, Ash.
Please don't let them take me away again. Please. No, I, I won't. <laughs> I won't, I promise. Ashley. Ashley, help me. Let me out of here. Mash, what's your history with the franchise? It doesn't go back that deep. I saw the first one with my cousin like 10 years ago. I was like, oh, we should watch this. <laughs> and um, we did. We had a lot of fun. And then years later, I watched two and just like loved it and watched that a couple more times. And then I finally caught up with Army of Darkness like a few months ago, honestly. And then uh, before this pod, I marathoned the original again and <clears throat> Fede's, which I had have seen in chunks. I realized I was like, I've seen a lot of this movie. Maybe it was on HBO or something. And I was like tuning in and out of it, but I'd never really sat through it. I didn't see it in the theater. Um, and that's mostly it though. These, I, I respond very much to these movies, even though I haven't seen them that many times, like, especially, um, I don't even want to point uh single any out. I, the, those original three, I really do love, like, as I'm watching them, I'm like, this is the first one, just watching it, um, earlier. It's like, in some ways that's like, there's not a single, way to make a perfect film or like the pinnacle of of what you can do with film but in a, in a certain way what they achieve in that movie is like the pinnacle of of something for me where it's just like you're they're, they're not only um it, it has a handmade feel which i love and it, but it also is highly innovative and like really influential and very just like enjoyable to live in and i'm just way into it it's such a tactile movie and and uh, for obvious reasons, but I, I guess we're going to get into the 2013 one, but that's my history. Not, but I, I, I love them, but I don't go super far back with them. Cause I was also a huge scaredy cat. I couldn't even, I didn't even get into horror movies until I was like in my teens. So I have a question for everyone. I like horror, but I'm a fan of more atmospheric psychological horror, but I feel like watching this original evil dead, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of things. It feels like a watershed moment for horror films like i feel like a lot of what i saw in that film i've seen versions of in other horror films some of the cinematography the way things are lit the cabin similar stories that are where you have these young people in a cabin whether it's cabin in the woods or similar films even films like um blair witch i felt a lot of blair witch uh or there was a lot of blair witch or i should say there's a lot of evil dead in blair witch way more finessed and subtle i see the effects of this film everywhere is that a thing or were people doing were horror films doing what i saw or elements of what i saw in evil dead before it josh josh is that you down there josh so so you said it right there cabin in the woods we all say, oh, Cabin in the Woods, like like all of those horror movies. What horror movies? What horror movie has a bunch of teens going to a Cabin in the Woods that isn't an Evil Dead movie? There are, there must be a couple, but not really. It Camp, Camp Crystal Lake. Oh, that was before, though. Yeah. But that's still, I mean, that's not, that's a camp. That's a camp. This is like, we're in the middle of the Tennessee woods. You, you are far from anything. I don't know. It, there's no lake nearby. With Friday the 13th, the reason they're at the lake is also the reason that, that there's a killer there. The book that they read out of could have been anywhere, which is why the most recent Evil Dead kind of works. It doesn't it doesn't have to be a rural location 
for the story to work. You just don't read from the book because if you do, you release demons. So I, I feel like the title of Cabin in the Woods is a direct reference to Evil Dead. Uh, the Foo Fighters have a music video that is riffing on this film. Um, Lordy is a Finnish um, hard rock band. They have this amazing homage to Evil Dead as a music video. So many people were influenced by especially the, the first two Evil Dead movies. And so many great makeup artists got to work on the second one and, and then kind of spread that love from there. Just quick, because I want to just my own version of this. Um, so I was up to my eyeballs in Dark Horse comics in the early 90s, reading all the Alien and Predator and everything. And Dark Horse never put ads in the middle of the issues. They would save it for the very end. And there would be around 1990 or 91, these very, very moody uh, full page ads for this painted uh, film adaptation painted by John Bolton, who's an amazing British artist of the Army of Darkness. And it looked so scary. It's like, oh man, that's going to be too scary to read. And so finally, I, I, I discovered that it was part of a film series. So I rented the first Evil Dead on VHS and terrible quality and cropped and muddy. And I really didn't know what I was seeing. And then I went off to college and my friends, whenever anyone was feeling down, like they just had a bad day, Army of Darkness immediately. 90 minutes and you feel better that was that was the pattern and so my first experience actually watching army of darkness I'm like, what the hell i loved it but it wasn't this like moody scary thing and then i saw evil dead 2 after all of that and that just not the right order to watch them in but oh man evil dead 2 is for me is where it's at why is it where it's at? oh go ahead go ahead i'll steal the answer from christian and my, i'll give my answer real quick to that and uh, which is really like such a masterful first off he elaborates on the first one and just the gore gags the the monsters the energy the cutting the camera stuff it's all been ramped up and had more put behind it so it's like he's he's blossoming uh in his style while still doing something that's really still pretty much completely new and um on top of that he is successfully implementing so much humor and it is just such a funny movie. It's just a straight comedy with like virtuosic horror uh, ideas and staging and all that. Why do you think that's two is where it's at, Christian? It is simultaneously, you know, more gory and slapstick and humorous, but also the psychological horror of it. Um, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna real, ruin it for you, Jamie. There's a scene where an entire room laughs with Bruce Campbell. The deer head on the on the wall, the tables and the books, everything is laughing with him because he just murdered his girlfriend. There's a scene where he's looking at a mirror of himself and he's like, "Okay, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay." And his reflection reaches through and grabs him by the neck and says, "It's not gonna be okay. You just cut your girlfriend's head off." Like, and. And it, and because it's all in camera tricks, there's no CGI. There's this is this is way before all of that. Um, it, it just feels real. It feels so. And even when you're like, okay, this is a ridiculous gag. Like he cuts his own hand off, and of course it's not his real hand or whatever. But boy, it is. It's a it's nasty on a level that that beats the first one. But then this humor, this very very strange humor throughout the whole thing, it's just great. And they shot all of this in a high school gymnasium. They built up a set. <laughs> over the course of a summer, <laughs> which I don't know. No. That's what you do. Patrick, what did you think? How, yeah, how, you, I, I, how far back do you go? Yeah, I'll give you my history too. But I, I think I think part of why Evil Dead 2 works so well also is because it really shows us why Sam Raimi is such an important voice in filmmaking. I think 
The first one was an incredibly well-executed low-budget horror film, but it wasn't necessarily an incredibly well-executed Sam Raimi horror film. I think the second one to me is where he finds his voice. Keep in mind, like The Evil Dead wasn't supposed to be their next project, him and Bruce Campbell and his friends that were putting this together. His student films were like adventure comedies, you know, they were they were movies where they were like, you know, uh, th- there was there was it was much lighter, but there were sequences in his lighter films before this that he had to do like suspense sequences with. And he had such a blast making them that he was like, maybe I should make like a whole movie like that. And that's really where the idea of like Sam Raimi as a horror filmmaker comes from is just like, ex- you know, extrapolating from those early experiments with making, you know, scary scenes with Dutch angles and weird things going on into a full length movie. And I think, you know. If you look at his filmography since then, his biggest hits have almost always been ones that incorporate those two things really well, humor and fear. And th- that's that's a really hard thing to pull off in a legitimate way. Like Sam Raimi's one of very few voices, I think, that can reliably do that well, make something that's scary and funny at the same time. A lot of the time you have somebody who makes something that like has the trappings of being scary, but it's really just a funny movie, right? Um, but Sam Raimi's films, like I mean, Evil Dead 2, like Christian was saying, like there's some genuinely scary shit in that movie. But like you're laughing while you're terrified, you know, which is really hard to pull off. Um, going back to my history with it, it's funny you mentioned that, Christian, because I also was introduced through Army of Darkness in college. It was a movie that we watched all the fucking time and we would all yell. You got real ugly at the same time. We'd all like we know what all the lines were and everything. It was like a movie that we would get high and watch together and have a great time with. Um, you know, I, I like I have such fond memories of Army of Darkness in college, and I never really took the time to go back and investigate why they made this movie and what was before it because it really was kind of before my time but then uh i revisited it primarily because micah my wife was cast in evil dead the musical which is another thing that exists you're welcome if you don't already know it definitely check it out it's awesome uh and she did she was in it twice she played linda the girlfriend who gets beheaded and uh as a result of that we got really well versed with evil dead and with the history of the franchise and with everything else and got to meet all these people who worked on it in different ways and like it was a huge deal like this production was you know just outside boston and people flew in from all over the world and i got to meet these people who were just like obsessed with this franchise um they they hooked up a sprinkler system with blood and they told us to bring raincoats and like it was just the craziest fucking experience ever and she did it you know for two separate productions uh, one of which was she went into rehearsals eight days after giving birth, which was like one of my favorite stories. She would come home like barely able to walk, covered in blood from rehearsal and like sit down and be like, why am I doing this? But uh, but that's really how we fell in love with Evil Dead. Now, it came out, th- this was 2013 because Jude just turned 10. So like th- it came out basically around the same time that Fede's film came out. So it's all wrapped together for me very much. And uh, and I have to say, like, I, I think very highly of Fede's film. We might want to transition, unless anybody has anything else to add so far. I have, to, I have one last thing. Yeah, Matt, what do you think? To Christian, I don't know if you've ever clocked this or it, I still haven't confirmed it. I need to look it up. But in the first film, um, the when they play the reading of the Necronomicon from the, the quarter inch tape or whatever, from the reel to reel, that voice... There, I, I, um, I, I had a kick of, um, listening to Lovecraft, uh, audiobooks that were clearly old. They were clearly from a cassette or something that someone uploaded like a two dozen of them to YouTube. And it, I swear it's that guy. And I'm like, they must have heard, maybe it's not 
I'll have to fact check this, man. I hope I'm not. I, I was wondering if I brought this up, you'd be like, yes, in fact, it is that guy. I will fact check and, and get back okay. to you. You fact check because I'm I'm very curious. I doubt they had access to right. hardly any, you know what I mean? So, but but I don't know. So Yeah. Well, guy has a great voice. Let's jump to the year 1990 in Uruguay. And there is a young 12-year-old boy and his name is Fede. And he has just been horrified by watching the movie The Evil Dead which he did not take as a comedy, which he did not think was funny due to its low budget. He was legitimately scared by this movie. We know this because he just told this to Guillermo del Toro in a recent talk that he had. But so when he made his film in 2013, I truly believe he was trying to take what the experience that he had watching Sam Raimi's original and trans that, transmit that to audiences. Cut out all the comedy, cut out all the, the winks and nods to me, that's a little bit of a revelation because I've never quite understood the motivation to make Evil Dead as a as a cruel movie because I feel that that's what it is. I feel like it's very, very punishing to all of the characters involved. I don't think it was punishing to the actors, I think, but the characters go through absolute hell. The only other film I can think of that fixates on the violence portrayed on, on bodies to the same extent is The Passion of the Christ. And that's... I think that's on purpose. I think that he wants you to feel every single needle puncture, every single knife wound. And and I I want to talk about that. Why why is that? Mia? Mia? What are you doing? Mia, put the gun down. Put the gun down, please. Mia! Put the fucking gun down! Just to throw in the loop, I, I do think we see a resurgence of, of this very much with the Splat Pack films of the early 2000s. And I think it's not uh, accidental that Eli Roth made a name for himself with a film about a group of teenagers in the woods called cabin fever and I, I to me like a, a lot of the 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 films that came out of that early like era with him and james wan like they they the fixation that they have also on like the physical degradation of the body very much called back to the evil dead films for me and, and I, I think fede's film is very much in that vein where like it feels like a hostile film a little bit um you know in that it's like just extreme splatter close-ups of things um and almost entirely practical something i i, I want to point out for people is that although fede alvarez has a background in cg effects work and, and an extensive and illustrious background in it he shot this with absolutely minimal out-of-camera cg vfx um and it shows like this movie looks fucking awesome great it effects. really does great effects and and you can tell that they're shot in camera because this movie came out 11 years ago and it really it looks completely to me better than contemporary it looks amazing so uh yeah i just i just wanted to call it out because i do think that talking about the way that evil dead reverberates through the ages i really think that that you can see filmmakers in the early part of the 21st century very directly calling back to it and to me fede is kind of inheriting that mantle a little bit from the eli roth generation and bringing it into the this remake a little bit as everyone answers this Christian's question, uh, what I'm curious is, as someone who saw the, the original after I've seen the 2013, how does how did the 2013 remake sit with you? Did it feel? Did you enjoy it? I guess that's my question. Um, it still is sitting with me. It's it is a film 
I know I told Maj and Jamie most recently, but that is something I'm still thinking about. I like find myself thinking about it when I'm just like today when I've been like, um, like I was putting some laundry away and uh, I would just go back and, and be thinking about what was just the the horror that I watched. <laughs> I mean, the opening s- scene, right? Is just like, boom, slaps you in the face, I think with some downright like scary shit. And you're just like, oh, I, I was like immediately, I was like, oh, all right. This is like how this film is going to go. Like this is the level we're on now. And it di- and it didn't really let up from that. Like the the score, like the music alongside of j- just like the reason they're there at the cabin, like it's just kind of, it's really depressing and and the with the brother coming back and these friends like not really just no one's really on like great terms i guess there's 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 something there that we don't see the full picture on regardless of that just like the the whole the ride that you go on it's it's sort of non-stop and and you you're in the ride whether you like it or not i haven't been like truly scared or like freaked out or um repulsed i guess is a good word but in a in a um in an intriguing way, right? Like I wasn't going to shut the the movie off or um, I, di- I didn't want to turn it off by any means. Like I, I was intrigued to want to see like, hey, what what's going to happen? Like, like what's coming behind the next door? Who the next character that you know is just got infected um, or possessed or what have you? Like, like what is, what are we about to see that's coming next? And Christian, to your question, it's like the human nature aspect of why we all well, I shouldn't say we all, but the majority of people like love to listen to true crime podcasts or watch um unsolved mysteries or like um there there's like this uh maybe that was a bad example unsolved mysteries but just like there's this there's this very real horror that fede is delivering with the practical effects with the camera with the you know you feel like you're there in that cabin getting sprayed with blood or getting stabbed or getting shot with the nail gun um like that like you get that feeling like in the pit of your stomach that thing that like kind of twists a little bit when when you see like some sort of body horror like it's the same thing when you like i don't know you watch like boxing and someone like breaks their arm or or like mma fighting and you see someone like break their ankle right or or in the nba when players like land on their foot and their ankle breaks and then you go and you see that video on youtube has like 10 million views right like people want to see that for some reason um but it also delivers like the same feeling of like grotesqueness a little bit that's intriguing to see because it's not it's not normal we nobody really sees that in everyday life unless maybe you're like some sort of ted bundy i was hypnotized by it a little bit but it's left me with like some lingering scars in my in my brain of like just like god what like what was that and i and i find myself thinking about it in the most alone moments um where i'm downstairs or i'm thinking about the necronomicon or, or just like the word right like this devil book and and the um the pictures um those were really cool like that was really intriguing to me just the book itself 
and uh and it's probably because i'm such a big like halloween d- guy like i i love that i love the, all that spookiness so it just like feeds that side of me um but i'm still really like i'm mash i'm a little bit of a scaredy cat too i was when i was younger but like i i still feel the same way or like tonight when i was putting my daughter down to sleep i'm like looking at the shadows on the wall like the shadow of myself i'm like oh god i hope i don't see anything like something move behind me and that's just like my brain like going right and going and going and whether that was fede fede's experience seeing the original evil dead when he was young right um it's awesome to see like how his his interpretation and his translation of that and for him to give us um something that just like hits on a lot hits on all levels i feel like um is is just so so cool to see and and just um i think a filmmaker that's going to be giving us some really awesome movies in in the years ahead you are all going to die tonight The God, the God, quick! Baby? To zoom out a little just on the time period that it came out, I'm just curious, because I wasn't really checking for horror movies at that time, but I think Patrick and Christian might have been maybe Jamie as well, but a lot of this gritty re I was about to say reboot remake, really. This is this is a true remake. That's why I think they leave in scenes like the the tree assault, because I think it, you know, the world is different only 10 years ago. And I think if he had left it out, people would have been like, you took it out. Even though some people I'm sure would have been grateful it wasn't in there. I could see that reaction coming. Did did you guys were you guys going to see the Friday remake, the Freddy remake, which have all, which are all in the Halloween, of course, famously, they're all very mean spirited. You know, they, um, were you guys, were you guys vibing on that at all? It was just like, I'm kind of into this really hardcore take on these, these movies and like the Texas chainsaw as well. For example, the only Eli Roth movie I ever saw was cabin fever. And I stopped with him. I've never seen a saw. Um, I'm not a, a nightmare or a, a Friday the 13th fan anyway. So I skipped those mm. very, yeah, those kind of ridiculous remakes. I actually like the first um, Texas Chainsaw remake, the one with Jessica Biel. I thought that was actually um, surprisingly Scary. well done, but weirdly has no cannibalism in it. Like I, they just, they kill people and then they don't do anything. I don't know. So no, I wasn't, I really wasn't vibing with that. The torture porn era that the Hills have eyes was the other one that was notoriously, mm just like over the top cruel and like, no, that's not what I'm in it for. How does it sit with you now? Man, I, I love the Saw movies. <laughs> I gotta say, what were you saying, Matt? Oh, sorry. No, I was asking Christian, have you, have you warmed to this evil dead? That's, that is actually a really hard question. Um, there are things, there are things I really like about it. I think that uh, the go to the cabin for the, the, the girl to have one more chance to detox, I think is an amazing setup because it locks them in place and to have her be the one who is aware of what's going on and no one of course will believe her. I think that was amazing. I think that uh, reading from that book is even more improbable though, in this version, like what are you doing? Why are you unwrapping this book that was in a room full of dead cats and is wrapped in barbed wire? (laughs) I I wish that that had been a little more um, motivated, but 
And then one one thing I, I think is extremely clever is the addition of sort of a final boss at the end that's a riff on the original uh, Evil Dead poster where the woman being pulled down, that which never happens in any of the other mm. movies. And here it is. Fede's like, well, I'm not going to miss that opportunity. So he creates this whole final um, somewhat ill-defined um, antagonist that has to be defeated. The Easter eggs were subtle back then, I think. Like even one of the, in the, one of the early shots of, it might be one of the first shots of, um, of Fede's film is kind of a, um, an homage, I guess, to this, uh, top down. Well, the camera starts out upside down and then it pans down and then it becomes an overhead shot in evil dead. It's of, it's a close up on Ash's face, but in the remake, it's this huge, wide shot of the woods that then pans down to see the Jeep coming down through the um, thing. So like, I, I, yeah, I was picking up on small things like that, that I thought that I thought were kind of elegant, honestly, as far as, um, you know, nods to the audience that weren't so uh, obvious. It's funny. One of the few things that dates this movie is that overhead shot you're talking about, the establishing shot, because you could tell it was shot from a helicopter, which is interesting, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to like now it would be shot by a drone, which would have like it would be much steadier. The image like you could tell because it's actually the camera's actually kind of moving a little bit, which I think I think is delightful. It. But it, it, that's one of the only moments where it feels like it wasn't necessarily a shot in the last couple of years. And also that shot in particular has gone on to be like really overused. You know, whether we're talking True Detective or the works of, you know, my my Lord and Savior, Mike Flanagan, like that, that's a shot that gets used quite often, I think now. Um, but to great effect in this. And, you know, yeah, it was. Yeah. And smile. It's, it's it's in a lot of things as like a cue that we're entering like an upside down dimension. You know, um, there's a whole television show on Netflix based on that idea. But anyway, um, I, you know, it's interesting. You're taking us back for a moment because this really was the kickoff of what has now been called the requel era, I think, which is kind of what you're talking about, Maj. This idea of like, is it a reboot? Is it a retelling? Is it a remake? It's kind of not, but like there's enough clues in this that it's not like, so for example, Ash's Oldsmobile is just sitting in the yard the entire time in this film, which is so funny. And like, nobody talks about it, but like, that's the car from Evil Dead. And it's just, it's just, you know, from the Evil Dead rather. And it's just kind of sitting there in the back. Um, There's a lot of like indications that this takes place in something of a continuous timeline with the previous films somehow or enough of one to make you want to put the pieces together in your head a little bit if you've seen the other ones. So it's definitely not a an out and out remake, right? Um, and, you know, it's different characters, it's a different setup, but it's something that exists in this weird liminal space between. And I think now that's become the norm, like with so many movies, whether we're talking the Halloween reboot or requels, the Scream requels, which you know I'm still enjoying, even though they're getting increasingly bad as they come out. Like this, so this, I mean, Saw is another example. Like this, this latest Saw film, Saw Ten in its own way is, is another, yet another reboot refresh requel of the original film. It's just, it just keeps happening over and over again. So I think the thing, right, the thing had the same exact thing happen in like the same year, I think is this, or maybe a, a year later. 2011. So this is something was it 20. Is that old 2011? Yeah. I mean, but it was still within like two years of it. The same you know? era though. Yeah. So like, this is definitely a, it's a thing. It's a thing now. Um, and what's interesting is that in the eighties and nineties, we had, very much like this obsessive need to sequelize horror films as we've already talked about like freddy versus jason versus everything in the world like they all had just like infinite sequels that took place in infinite timelines with infinitely more ridiculous stakes and uh we kind of shifted from that model to this new like new interpretation of the material model so i think taking it in that vibe 
Fede's film, I I love it. I, I think it, it is for me um, a very like legitimately scary movie. It's a film that like the first time I saw it, I remember like being kind of scared when I left for a minute. I was like kind of looking around and that that's like a, a feeling I haven't had in a long time. That's like, you know, that's that's right up there with some of the scariest movies I've seen in, in theaters in my life, which I love. Like, that's why you go see a movie like this. Right. I think a lot of that is due to Jane Levi's performance, uh, Levy rather, uh, who I think is a fantastic and underutilized actress who deserves way more work. Then maybe she doesn't want to do more work. I don't know, but she she should be in so many more things. She's so fucking good. Of course, she's also the star of Don't Breathe. Um, and this one, I, the way that she telegraphs like true fear in this movie is is unbelievably scary. Like that is the scariest part of the film. The scariest part of the whole movie to me is in the beginning when she first comes comes back after the tree rape sequence, and she's sitting in the in her room in this cabin, and she's saying, "You have to get me out of here. I think it's in here with us now." The way she says that is like the fucking scariest line reading I've seen anybody give in my entire life. Like even just the way the mucus is sticking to her mouth, like she looks so terrified out of her mind. And so if you as an audience member are like kind of like, oh, it's another possession movie with ridiculous trees, you know, vaginally, you know, possessing people like, well, this is a ridiculous movie. You don't feel that way after she delivers that little monologue like you feel so afraid and then when you see the abomination in the mirror looking at her like that's like fucking so scary oh my god like that if that doesn't make you jump out of your seat like i don't know what kind of shrooms you're taking but i want some because my god uh the, the movie is full of moments like that to me that just really scare me a lot uh there are things in it that I, I wish he had taken a little bit um more seriously one of them being the addiction angle which i agree with christian i love that they've pivoted towards that and others who have said that i think that's like brilliant um who was just talking was that magic christian that was just talking about that that was christian okay good i just want to make sure i give credit um like i i love that angle but i think that fede could have like gone more with that like that could have become more of an increasing theme of like is what she's seeing really there or is it not like that i think i think a more subtle film and this is not a subtle film would have delayed that a little bit so that we had some unsurety within ourselves to a point whatever that's neither here nor there i don't think fede is like a particularly nuanced filmmaker i just think he's a really effective filmmaker i think that his movies in my experience of them aren't necessarily about like layer upon layer upon layer of meaning and about really subtle character development and it's more about like doing the conventions of filmmaking in a really great authentic way and nailing a vibe and a feel and being very scary to that end i think one thing that i wish this movie did better was its treatment of of like medicine and like the medical practices of this movie are they're so ludicrous and it's if the film didn't take itself so seriously i wouldn't notice it but because like i mean this shit happens in horror movies all the time there's people get defibrillated with a systole in horror movies all the time you just you don't even think about it because like whatever but in, in this movie because it's it's such a serious film for her to be like injecting you know uh mia through her like hand vein like you know it, it, there's just all these things in it that i'm like what like a nurse wouldn't do that or the fact that like this defibrillation of a of a non-beating heart happens like four times in this movie like that's not how that's not how hearts work so like Things like that kind of like get to me a, a little bit in this particular movie because it's not funny. If it were like a funny movie, like I, it feels like it's going there when her brother starts like building somehow a defibrillator with like, you know, a bunch of garbage in the pantry, which is like, and it feels like it's going in the direction of like Ash binding a chainsaw to his arm and going crazy, right? 
but then it doesn't stay in that space. Like it becomes more kind of real horror and less fantasy, fake, funny horror, you know? So like, I guess what I'm saying is there's a total mishmash that pops up from time to time that um, I feel like is a sign of Fede as an in-development filmmaker. Like, I feel like he wasn't quite where he has gotten to. By the time we get to Don't Breathe, which is just a few years after this, that is a fully formed filmmaker to me. Like, that is a full artistic statement that from top to bottom works really well, except for one moment that I've already complained about on a frame rate episode. I think that film just fucking works. I think Don't Breathe doesn't quite work all the time, but where it does work, it's so effective and so genuinely frightening that it's like a triumph. I mean, it is a fucking great horror movie. I was talking with Jamie a little bit earlier today about this, um, and this is something that's come up also from others uh, tonight, but it, it is a mean movie. Like, it's a cruel film. It's a really deeply... Like it, it is not kind to its characters. It is not kind to its audience. It is just like a fucking mean movie. And I find that kind of refreshing because that feels very hard to come by now. We live in an era of these requels where they're so self-aware and they have so much fun playing with them, their own tropes that uh, it's hard to take them seriously as documents of horror because we are kind of in on it the whole time. Whereas this is like, you don't know what you're dealing with. Like this fucking book is so bad and what it conjures is so deadly that you are not going to be laughing by the time I am done with you. And we are not because this movie is fucking scary. Um, and I, I really love that. Also, the score is really good. I wanted to ask you about the score, but before that, as for the tonal mishmash, it's I had to kind of keep reminding myself that like as I was watching it that I'm sure because he loves the evil dead and he knows that you can't just try and be Sam Raimi, that he would have to strike out on his own and create his own tone and establishing a tone and carrying a tone through a movie is a challenge of its own. And he was going to flesh out characters. That's another challenge. So like, I know what you mean. It's kind of, at certain moments you feel it, um, not straining, but maybe not fully like, yes, the, we start with a drug angle and then, you know, maybe two thirds through the film, a mental health gets issue it gets um uh um brought up about hereditary um mental health issues and it's like well which you know metaphor are you trying to go for and also um like i think a big part of the challenge also about the tonal thing is if he's not going to try and ape sam raimi if he is going to try and go for this straight horror um uh uh aesthetic or whatever um it can and i don't I don't know if this is fair, but it's like it can feel a little because, like I said, establishing a tone is hard enough, but it can feel a little monotonous how it's like this this dread the whole time, which is kind of like, well, what do you want? That's the point of this movie. Maybe it's not a fault of the movie, but it does it it, it does in certain moments have to fall back and rely on, well, it's evil dead. He creates a defibrillator, right? So um did, did any of you guys find the movie like not, you know, I don't want to be mean to say it's one note at all because it's not. I, I think there it has variety in it, but not quite like, you know, Evil Dead, which had which is very spacious and has a lot of uh, room and stuff. And also oh, one last thing, just as far as um, fleshing out the characters being a challenge, something about the original that I found interesting is that like all the characters are very um you know, simple blank, whatever you want to call them. Um, but they're all kind of weighted even 
blatantly in the beginning of the movie. It's almost like Alien, where you don't necessarily know Ash is going to be the the hero, and it kind of it kind of creates a, a like a coherence to it. Whereas in this one, we have a couple of characters, but then there are a couple of sort of throw like one of the friends feels kind of throwaway. <laughs> it lives up to most of the challenges it set out for itself. Certainly with horror set pieces, and especially that final. Uh, kill which i was almost scandalized by the first time i saw it i was like oh my god especially as a former uh reformed scaredy cat i was like this is so hardcore it is it is kind of a delight i really do um i hand it to him for that patrick said that there's kind of refreshing that it was a little bit mean or cruel i don't know if i would use those terms it's certainly relentless you guys have heard me vent about this before about being tired of moralistic horror or virtue signaling horror like it's scary but it's not really scary because we have something that you need to do to help them get, find rest or um even though i'm a huge fan of mike flanagan sometimes that like message-based morality i just get like dude just scare me just stop telling me how to live my life and scare me, you know? Stop telling me who I need to be nice to. When will um, you accept the Flanagan into your heart, Jamie? No, I love I love Flanagan. I'm actually I know, uh, I'm deep into the House of Usher, the fall of the House of Usher. Anyways, I love that this film is relentless, that Evil Dead 2013. It's just, it is unforgiving. It is relentless. It is terror. There's nothing behind it but evil. I love it. It does not happen in movies very often. There's only one other movie that I can think of think of offhand called The Dark and the Wicked, which if you guys have not seen this film, you have to fucking see this film. It is all atmospheric. It is not gory. Um, I watched that couple, with Jamie when he was visiting. Was that's right. Massive. We watched it together. Yeah. Together, yeah. Um, a little blood here and there. but I, And so I love a film that's like, okay, this is a roller coaster ride. You are here for a thrill, and you are not here for any other reason. But to that end, I think some of the criticism I might have towards Fede's film is minor, just in terms of the characters. And we were discussing this earlier on our Alien Romulus discussion. The characters just seem kind of thin, if that's even, if there even are characters. These characters definitely felt like they were versions of characters before obviously this is a remake film so of course they are you have the same amount of characters in this house in this cabin but there's just nothing to them i i didn't feel anything for him what was happening to him was scary and i definitely have to give it up for what's the actor's name who plays the main possessed woman i can't remember her name jane, off jane levy jane levy she was fucking phenomenal phenomenal scary as shit I have not been that scared in a movie in a long, long time. And she just, she knocked it out of the park. Um, but that being said, I just, I have hard times, I guess, uh, with usually everyone's 23 years old. It's just kind of the same old thing over and over. 2013's Evil Dead kind of fell into that trap a little bit of like these 23-year-olds kind of arguing about nothing, trying to bring in a younger audience. However, of course, the original Evil Dead, they were also very young as well, so it makes sense why they did that. Um, but I w wanted to like the characters a little bit more, but I also realized this isn't this is a roller coaster. This isn't this character piece. This isn't Alien. This isn't Blade Runner. This is a remake of a crazy, ingenious film, and that's what it was. So taking it for face value, I fucking loved it, and I've seen. Think I've seen it two or three times so far, and I would I would watch it again because. It's the kind of film that continues to scare me. And I don't know if you guys 
have films like that where you can watch it again and it's still like like hereditary does that for me hereditary is fucking terrifying literally just about to say hereditary that's that's a movie that i compare to this a lot and that yeah. it is it's scarier when i watch it more than once it's yeah. so scary yeah it's so scary and hereditary has very uh has characters of depth and there's a lot going on whereas in evil dead there's not really a lot going on with these characters that said um yeah i, I want more of something i i want more of this version of evil dead but with characters that i can i can kind of get involved with a little bit more but uh watching the original today i know people have used the term easter eggs i don't wouldn't use those terms with this with the remake because it's a remake so there aren't easter eggs it's not like it's within the universe and they're winking to ash it's a remake of the original film so i wouldn't call those easter eggs but i really feel like they took elements of the original tons of elements everything and revived them into this beautiful dark scary thing and even the forest like the way he made that forest look so terrifying feel so terrifying the sights the sounds it was amazing and the atmosphere even the uh audio atmosphere was so awesome it actually reminded me of his show on apple called calls i don't know if you guys have ever seen it it's not really you're not you don't really watch it it's it's how do you explain that patrick you've you've heard calls it's adapted right? from a stage play i think actually originally is it it's, okay it's all audio it's all like short vignettes of audio interactions and they're they're just like the waveforms are animated and they're horror too. like they're horror audio they're fucking films. intense short intense yeah they are he won an, a, an emmy award uh primetime emmy award for the show or something like that yeah anyways i love uh 2013 evil dead I, I think it's really really great and it does excite me for romulus and to see the decisions that he's making that he knows what's scary he knows how to make things scary to be able to walk into a theater again hopefully as we all do maybe together next year to actually be genuinely scared by something that we see i can't wait for that agree i i love that he prioritizes actually scaring and sickening you he doesn't hold back on viscera and blood and maybe i maybe because the original is so up my alley in terms of like sensibilities and just aesthetic and everything and the um, the story behind it and all that, that I, um, I would like this new one more if, if I just really separated, if this was like, if I didn't even know it was a remake, I'd be like, wow, what? Like, that's really something. I'm going to make a prediction that in Alien Romulus, we're going to have a scene where a facehugger is attacking someone and they are attempting to defend themselves. And while they're not successful, they end up with a series of uh, defensive wounds, punctures, rips, tears. The nails of the facehugger have yet to be shown. We see them, but we don't see them. And I think that Fede is going to absolutely sink nails into people's faces as they're getting facehugged. 100 bucks says I'm right. All for it. I'll bet PO money on that. No, no. I'm down. <laughs> I'm down to see that, Christian, for sure. I also hope hey, that 10 years on, he is more confident in creating characters in a shorthand way. 2013 Evil Dead characters are pretty much defined by uh, their gender and their skin color. You know, that's how we know who these people are. There's the there's the tall blonde guy that can't stop reading fucking books that are clearly wrapped in garbage bags. And, and <laughs> don't do that, man. But like, they're not character characters. They're, they're bodies that are then abused, honestly. Uh, and 
while I don't think these need to be deep character studies, I do feel like when you compare it to the crew of the Nostromo, we are given individualisms, things that that clearly give us a sense of, of the trajectory of their lives, why they ended up there, whether they're dissatisfied with that, those kinds of things. And that's what resonates with us. And so, yes, this is another group of young people in Alien Romulus, but I'm hoping that 10 years more experience has given him some of those little shorthand tools. I was just going to add, um, I'd love to comment on a few of the things I thought were really cool about the movie um, or, ju- or just like highlights for me. One is is the forest like rape scene. I thought that was very shocking and, and horrifying, but the way that Fede did it, it was just really fucking scary and and you just feel violated yourself i don't care like who you are as i feel like anyone as a human being is like gonna feel a certain way watching that right there were similarities but just his version was very fresh i thought and, and very raw when you finally get it to where they they um trap um jane levy de- in the the cellar like the, the remake of the cellar and all of that was awesome. Like the aesthetics, the, the, the actual props, right? Like when they're down there, like that's really creepy in the original. Um, I was kind of creeped out or scared. Just like that part is I'm always scared of like what you can't see, right? Like what you, what the, um, the artist is not showing you. Right. Um, so th- that piece of it was really cool, but, what I was getting to is locking her down in the cellar and you finally get like the chains across the door. Like the way they did that was cool. Um, Christian, to your point, the, there's really for me, the one thing that I didn't vibe with or or that just kind of was like, I was like, was the guy reading the words from the book? I was like, I really would have appreciated if there was like one thing that he did the exact same as the original is it would have been cool if like there was a a tape recorder down there of a tape that they put into play because they're like oh what is this let's listen to it and then it's like someone reading the words from the the book I, i just think like that is way more realistic in a sense of like how it could have accidentally them like releasing these demons upon the earth sort of a thing Whereas like the whole idea behind the guy being a, t- a teacher or whatever. So I was like, oh, okay. I'm like loosely connecting it. I'm like, okay, he likes to read books and and is like, so he's investigating it and and doing the, the things. I just think it would, it would have been more believable because the moment I saw that and him like in the room by himself, like just doing that, I'm like, ah, oh, okay, it's fine. I'll go with it. Um, but that was really like my only thing to, to like nitpick about the film. Like everything else was was great. The body horror itself, just like the the girl like cutting her face off. <laughs> um, the, the nail gun scene was wild, just wild to me. The neat like this the stabbing needle and the eye. The dude like had his glasses on, and I was like, that's what you get for reading books, man. All of that, right? Just just in your face, raw, like the the grotesqueness of the horror. And then like one piece of it at the end that I just loved, like the moment it happened, I was like, yes, like I want more. And then it just like fed the ending so well. And that is the blood rain. I loved the blood rain. Like the moment it starts raining blood, I was like, amazing. Definitely would love to watch this movie and it'll definitely be on my list for years and years to come of like a film I always watch around Halloween time. Those were like some of my 
some of my highlights for sure. And uh, yeah, the very end, obviously, of of like the demon, the last like getting absorbed into the earth to like thought that was just really cool. Uh, and just how they shot, how they did that. It was just super awesome. The demon like dissolving at the very end, I thought was a really nice like kind of echo of the original where instead of in the first one where it's sort of fizzing and bubbling in this amazing stop motion effect that's so colorful and beautiful and um it kind of looks like it's uh fizzing and percolating it, with this it's like a big uh puddle that's getting pounded with rain so it has that sort of same like texture to it and i thought that was like kind of one of these interesting sort of savvy updates for his movie where in order to get um jane levy's character covered in like blisters and boils and have her face kind of melting off like a deadite there's this hor- horrific scene where she cranks the uh the the shower heat and and she just scalds herself and then they run in i thought that stuff was pretty clever i think there's some lasting images in this movie i feel like there are there are maybe it's like i'm just so used to people uh, seeing sc- screen grabs from it places but i feel like there's lasting imagery from this movie that have like kind of entered the horror canon in their own right They've definitely entered my canon because like just talking about it now, I'm getting scared again. I'm like, oh, fuck the the movie. The movie's really genuinely frightening, I think, to uh, to answer Perry's question first. I, I, for me, it's definitely Jane Levy talking about the abomination being in the room with her like that. That to me, I, I just think that's one of my favorite scenes in a horror movie. Like, I, actually, I really mean that, like one of my favorite horror scenes. Like, I, I think that's just incredibly well acted, incredibly well shot, incredibly well paced. It's like so fucking scary. And I think it is unfortunate that the rest of the movie can't quite hold that level of tension because like we're seeing a lot for the rest of the movie, right? Like the the rest of the movie is just a continuous reveal of how gross this is going to be like, you know what I mean? But there's something about that moment before you quite know where that's really powerful in a great horror movie. And I think Ari Aster is an amazing person at at doing this where like he hold he covers your eyes a little bit for you you know because we all have that reflex when we watch a horror movie where we're like oh fuck like i don't know if i want to see what i'm about to see it's amazing when the film itself does that like when the film creeps so close to the edge of something that will reveal what's behind the character but you don't quite see it or you have a lot of negative space on one side of the frame and you just like fucking know something's coming but you can't see this area and I love how the early parts of the film, when this when this force is just sort of agglomerating through the forest, like there's a lot of moments like that that are really scary to me. And I would say, like, I, I do compare this to Hereditary, and that I find both of them to be just truly frightening horror movies from the modern era. But Hereditary to me is probably three or four times as scary as as Evil Dead is. And and I, I've been trying to think a little bit about why, and also why I'm comparing them to each other a lot because I've also, like Jamie, been thinking about these two films with each other a little bit. I think for Hereditary, there's this really interesting thing happening structurally where there is a reveal. Like you do, un- I get, I'll spoil Hereditary, I guess. But like Spoilers. you learn that there's like this this coven of witches, and that like there's this you know family history with that, and 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 you kind of get a sense of there's this you know possession happening, and they're trying to resurrect this new prince, you know, for their coven or whatever. Um, and that makes the movie no less frightening. And that is not the way horror movies typically operate. This is something I've actually explained to our children when I've shown them horror films or things that are kind of horror light. I'm like, trust me, part of this is you get to that point where you figure it out with the characters and then it's not scary anymore. Then the rest of the movie is payoff and then it makes the, the everything that came before it not scary anymore because now you know what it was and it's and you can kind of conquer it. Um 
And I've gotten my kids to watch a lot of semi-scary movies by doing that with them. And then we talk about why and like what happened and like, oh, this is what was really going on. Oh, it's not really that scary anymore. But Hereditary like never has that moment. Like Hereditary just gets scarier somehow as it goes on, even as you learn what's happening. And to the point where by the end of the movie, by the time they get to the treehouse scene, you are, I mean, that was like, that is like so elementally scary to me. And it just, it's, it's the scariest part of the film is the way it ends. With this movie, like it's never as scary for me as it is early on when you don't quite know where it's going to go yet. Um, and I think that's not, it's not like Fede's fault. It's not the material's fault, but it's just, a, it's a structural thing with Evil Dead that I think is part of why it lends itself well to comedy ultimately, because at a certain point, you can only see so many, you know, profane people locked in cellars with weird eyeballs, you know, before it starts to become a little ridiculous, right? Um, so I'm, I don't know what I'm even going at with that, but I'm just kind of calling that out as something that the movie doesn't quite hit for me the way I want it to because it's it's so good in so many other ways. That being said, though, um, I, I do think it's a, it's a genuinely effective uh, horror film. So the, the one thing I want to point out, and this is this is why I'm a little nervous about Romulus sometimes, is Fede is a telegrapher. That's something that like sometimes works great for him and sometimes doesn't. When it does work great for him, is when he Chekhov's guns the fuck out of every shot in a movie. And he does this like so much in both Evil Dead and in uh, Don't Breathe. Early on in the film, like he shows you what's going to happen later, right? In Evil Dead, like we see the nail gun, we see the syringe, we see all these implements that will come back. And so we kind of clock it and we go like, oh, this is going to go off in the second act, you know? Like we kind of know what's going to ha happen. Don't Breathe, for also, you know, we get a full walkthrough of the house before everything happens. And he shows us with the camera, like, this is where these tools are located. This is where the escape hatch is. This is where the vents are, which is fun. Like, as a movie convention, I have no problem with that. The problem that I have, though, is that he does that with characters, too. He, like, telegraphs things with characters. And in Evil Dead, like... I don't buy the relationship between Mia and her brother, whose name I can't remember. And I, you know, I think that goes to show that he's not like a fully fledged character because I can't really remember what his name is. I just know him as the function of being the brother of the main, you know, woman in the movie. Um, I don't like quite buy their relationship, even though I think they do a good enough job acting it. I think, um, and I think Fede knows that. And so he like keeps showing us like the family photos over and over and over again and kind of like hitting us over the head with like, this is, you know, they grew up together. Their mom was sick. They love each other. And that's kind of like, we're just sort of, that that kind of just gets like shoved down our throats a little bit. And uh, as opposed to a film like Alien, where you have to like truly pay attention to so many things to pick up on those characterizations. But even if you don't though, like they work somehow, like you still completely buy that these people exist outside of the frame that you're watching them in. Evil Dead, as we've all talked about tonight, is not that movie. Evil Dead is a movie where like those characters exist only for the sake of being, you know, persecuted. Um, not a complaint necessarily. But something that I worry about a little bit because Alien Romulus has a pretty big list of characters in it from a, a pretty large cast of actors whom we only really know a couple of. So like, who knows, you know, how how great they are as an ensemble, how they work together. And I I just, I hope that Fede um, gives the characters room to kind of breathe and to be themselves. I think Evil Dead could have benefited from a longer runtime, honestly. I think this movie is only like an hour and a half. And I think part of that's because it sort of sets the stakes really high very early on in the film, and then it never lets off the gas pedal all the way through. And a film like Alien, of course, famously doesn't really press the gas pedal down until 45 minutes into the movie at the earliest. I mean, like it's a film that gives you so much time to just sink into it. And I really hope that Romulus, likewise, 
gives us time to breathe and time to get to understand the environment so that when the stakes do go up, and I know they will because Fede does an amazing job of that. Like Fede makes some fucking great stakes in his movies. Uh, I hope that we feel invested enough to be scared. One thing I want to point out or uh, submit is the question of backstory in alien movies as a whole. Like, of course, Ripley gains a backstory as we see her through the movies. But other than that, um, no one in Aliens seems to have too much of a backstory. Alien 3, we get Clemens's slight backstory. Um, Resurrection, a teeny bit from Call, I, I suppose. And then in the prequels, Shaw and Daniels kind of have backstories that I don't know if anyone is super crazy about or invested in. It's such a tough nut to crack because it's kind of like the joy of it is dropping believable human beings into a scenario that we find compelling. What do, what do you guys think about this? About do you, do you think this is something he should steer away from, even though this movie is 10 years old now, how he treats backstory in Evil Dead or, and how we think about ba you know backstory for characters in the Alien movies? First of all, I just want to say uh, I, I predict that um, he's going to telegraph an alien egg in the first act and in the second act, someone's going to get an egg opened up and a face hugger is going to go in his face. So he really is going to telegraph that one. Mm. Um, alien, you put a hundred bucks on that Christian. Cause I'll hold hot take hot take. <laughs> oh snap. Um, alien and aliens. Once you, if you, if you stop and really look, uh, especially aliens has an incredibly rich amount of characterization because the Marines are allowed to personalize their armor um, between uh, rings they're wearing, jewelry they're wearing, what they've written, their posture, all that stuff, you get a much better idea, even of the two stuntmen who get no lines, you get a sense of who these people are. And in Alien, the way that they decorate their stations, um, there's there's a weird amount of actual detail that is never right in your face. You have to go looking, or you have to, by deductive reasoning, assume that all of the pornography in the, the galley belongs to either, you know, Brett or Parker. Like, just the way that the things are set up and, and why is there a picture of scrambled eggs right next to the naked lady? We don't know, but there it is. Um, should Fede do this? Absolutely. We don't want a character to walk in and say, hello, my name is protagonist with backstory and give you like my mom left me and I'm a drug addict. Like we don't, we don't want that. We want something that's subtle and that makes the characters stand out and be distinctive and, and exist outside of the frame. Like, like Patrick was saying, so I think it's a noble goal. I don't know. We're, we're going to find out next year. To answer Perry's original question, and as we wrap the show, I think my favorite moments from 2013 Evil Dead are when she's in the basement and she that one shot, which is a recreation of the original where you see her looking out through the cracks. That's fucking terrifying. And then you hear her talking and she kind of... It's also, if you guys are familiar, it's a nod to a famous Disney film where they do it first, where she's, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Little it's moment. the exact same moment, Snow White, where the witch is going under and you see her creep out. It's the exact same moment. I think Fede did it on purpose. I'm not sure if Raimi did it on purpose, but it's the same shot. It's really great. In terms of like characterization, uh, as we kind of move on and our, we talk about our hopes for Romulus, the best characters don't, you don't need backstory for Like for instance, with alien, you can see that Lambert is a little bit timid, is a little bit scared. She's telling you who she is by her mannerisms, by her acting. We don't need to know that Lambert was 10 years old in Arkansas. You know what I mean? Like the best characters tell you who they are without telling you who they are. They do that through the actors acting. They do that through their, their, um, 
they're different ticks and um parker we know parker's dominant and bullheaded and but we don't need to see parker at 15 years old telling off his parents to know that parker is a more dominant irreverent guy you know and i think that's the best backstory for me i i think backstory is a misnomer and i think if you have to have a a, a flashback of a character to find out who they are then you're not writing it right in my opinion that's why i think that scene with ripley and aliens you don't need that scene you don't need to know about ripley's daughter for us to know that she can care tenderly for a child I think we all have that capability if we are the right kind of person. The issue with I have with the characters are that none of that's really present. You hear them talking about their backstory, but you don't see them living it. The character with the most depth in that film is the actual horror itself, is the woods, is the possession. I feel like the demon is the deepest character. We get to know them more than we get to know the actual humans. And the humans are like spouting all this nonsense, but it doesn't really matter. We're not really given the time. And to your point, Patrick, if it was have been longer, we could have had more rounded characters. And to another point you made, I hope that Fede for this alien film does not do what he has done with Don't Breathe and with Evil Dead, where you're seeing, what did you call that? Patrick, where you're seeing like Chekhov's gun, right? Where yeah. You show a gun in the first act. It's got to go off in the third. Yes. Movie. I hope he doesn't do that. I don't need to do that. I don't need to don't show me the piece like alien. Didn't do that. I don't need to know. No, obviously I want Fede to make a film that he, he is proud of something that his stamp is on. I don't want him to clone what Scott and O'Bannon and Giger did, but I also, I want the characters to be themselves and I don't want backstory. I don't want you to like, Oh, look, here's a, here's a gun. There's a corridor. Like it's essentially a, a foreshadowing it's foreshadowing i fucking hate foreshadowing in movies it's but so that's like the first shot of alien to be fair they show the like the hatch the you know the the self-destruct no am i wrong the first Fuck. shot of alien is actually the um when they're it's, the thing is the the thing on the computer screen and then you see the helmet and then it goes to the then it goes i mean it's going all around but yeah, i don't it, that doesn't feel like foreshadowing yeah it that's doesn't feel like foreshadowing thing. to me it just feels like hey this it's is not where obvious. we are setting yeah. the stage yeah 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 and i just I, I just think modern filmmaking tends to be very obvious it tends to be like oh look like here's this this is gonna like for instance and i i hate to say this but it's just true like um that's what i choose to believe was a foreshadowing of them saying it later on like we don't need to hear that trust us trust us like alien trusted us like Ridley Scott trusted us that we can figure out who these characters are without over explaining everything. And Patrick, you just said, if you're paying attention, if you're really paying attention, you will pick up on these things. So I'm excited. I, I, I'm still a little nervous for sure. Um, not because of the age of the, the cast, but just that's alchemy. That's magic that happened in alien. And to get that to happen again means you need to invest in your actors means you need to invest in your character. So I'm hopeful that he did.
I have one fact correction for myself that I want to put out there. Calls, his Apple TV series, which is great, is not based on a stage play. It's based on a French version of the same show that was directed by Timothy O'Shea. So it's actually a show based on another show. I just want us to remember that we're obviously rehashing this, right? Like 10 years later. I don't think we can ask or demand things from a based off a film that would that fede put out 10 years ago right and like i i think that he was obviously from what we've learned and what i've learned from you guys tonight is just like making a film that um was based off of his experience with the original evil dead and wanting to um remake that in a sense and make it really fucking scary which he did a great job doing sam raimi opening up the the film with all of them in the car driving to the cabin i thought that was great right like you do get some some character development at least like relational development between those characters so you so you're like oh yeah they're boyfriend and girlfriend like they care about each other and then when they're like dying or getting possessed you're like oh yeah the the fact that the boyfriend really cares about that person makes sense right i I definitely feel like there wasn't as much of that in fede's version of the evil dead but he was definitely stylistically trying to make nods and and remake um that style of horror film right but in this newer age way and making it really scary and horrifying what's cool about like hereditary right is like you're constantly being taken up the mountain right and you're gonna th- in most horror films to your point like you always reach that peak there's there's always the, like the climax of the thing and then you know what's going on and then the rest of it can either be like comedic like where evil dead where sam raimi kind of takes it with the with the um the sequels and things like that um or for like the last half hour of the film right but to in this film the to fede is like yeah you know what's going on if you hadn't seen the remakes you're like oh okay like this evil thing's happening and people are getting possessed and these people are all gonna die in really grotesque ways all right cool like you you know that's gonna happen like after the girl's like cutting her face off right um and so like that's great and the way that that's presented to us can be sustained to the end um and and keeps like at edging up a notch right hereditary is freaking scary because you never reach that climax until the very end but then the credits roll and you're just like oh my god i watched this film in the middle of the day it's still light out and i'm i'm terrified to go to bed in six hours i'm like already scared to go to sleep because that movie is just like does not get you to the top of the mountain fast enough right to 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 be able to figure it out you're still going through that i'm hopeful that fede knows that right like he's got to know that he's great like we just we just saw that that picture of of his alien collection of books and like what he's been using to study and like get his backstory on i mean he's he's obviously played isolation and and is like been reading about that storyline and things like that i mean i i feel confident in him knowing the things that we're touching on right here with the character development um and like setting the stage and the environment and and stylistically yeah, are the actors young, but like I think if I think if he can take us on that trip up the mountain in the up the right path, right? Or his path, but like as long as it gets us to where it needs to go and maybe doesn't get us to that 
to the top until the perfect moment. I think if if that's figured out in some way or he presents it to us in, in his own fresh way, I think is really going to have an awesome fresh take on on Alien and, and just like the franchise. And so like I'm and I'm really hopeful for it. And and like I don't want to have too many reservations because we, we can't speak on what we haven't seen yet, but it's just um, I'm I'm just really freaking excited. No, I think that's a great place to end it, to be honest with you. I, I, I know that this was a great conversation. These films, the original, the remake, they're all really exciting. They're exciting to me. And they are positioned in a, in a time where we're looking forward. Uh, certainly the 2013 Evil Dead has us looking forward about maybe what to expect, at least tonally, um, at least in terms of uh, design or um practical design so i can't wait thanks everyone for listening thank you guys for coming on the show for talking uh for our first maybe official spooktacular episode uh for halloween spooktacular spooktacular have you ever heard that before <laughs> i have Haven't i you have. heard that I are we using that, that for this fucking episode i don't know are, we just did i've heard i it. like it let's do it thanks everybody what are your names though yeah, if i'm, if I'm christian macabre Matsuka, we got patrick gangrene we got uh, <laughs> I'm going with groovy uh, Christian. I'll take the game. Right. Too, Green is so <laughs> good, though. <laughs> it is good. I know. I know. All right. Petrified. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> happy Halloween, everyone. From Petrified. Yes, happy Halloween. On the happy next Halloween. Episode, and happy Enjoy. Halloween. Thanks, Putrid Prater. Okay. <laughs> there we go. That's, That's good. good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. All right. That was a good time. To find out more about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit www.perfectorganism.com. If you'd like to support the show, please visit www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.